So the chapters we're examining today, 13 and 14, share a theme about how the leader needs to improve himself as he serves. We must never think that once we've been called to a position that we've arrived. We're always progressing toward God's call in our life. Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to be reaching forward all the time in our walk. Pressing toward the goal, not looking back, but looking forward. My life changed radically several years ago when I began each day asking God, Hey, what are we going to do today? What do you have in store for me, Lord? What's next? Turns out that he had some cool stuff in store for me next. This fellowship and you guys are part of that, of what he had in store for me. We see further in 2 Timothy 3.17 that we should work so that the man of God is complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul was well equipped and an accomplished man. Paul referred to himself as being a Roman citizen of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. It was likely that his father was a Pharisee, and his family had a long history of religious piety. Apparently the family lineage was attached to Pharisaic traditions and observances for generations. While he was still fairly young, they sent him to Jerusalem to receive his education at the school of Gamaliel, one of the most well-respected and noted rabbis in history, and a leading authority in the early first century Sanhedrin. Paul attended Hillel School, which was noted for giving their students a balanced education with special emphasis on literature, philosophy, and ethics. Pastor Chuck's commentary says that first century history books record that Paul was such an avid reader that when Gamaliel spoke of Paul as a student, he said the biggest trouble he had with him was not providing him with enough books. Paul knew the importance of self-improvement. Sanders begins chapter 13 quoting Paul in 2 Timothy 4.13 where he asked young Timothy to bring the cloak that I left in Carpus and at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Obviously the books here refer to the Old Testament writings, but commentaries that I've read propose that it probably likely included rabbinical writings and books of interpretation and history books and poetry books. The parchments referred probably to the uh, spiritual, spiritually, spiritual writings that Paul had that God gave 
those things that inspired his uh, later epistles. Paul was a scholar through and through. He was always pressing forward, always learning. It's obvious that it's important for us to be a student of the Word. That's obvious to each one of us. But here we see that in order to be a balanced leader, we must also be a student of the world. We must know what's going on in the world around us. Reading, extracurricular reading, supplemental reading needs to be a part of our focus. Commentaries, devotionals, theology, doctrinal works, old and modern day spiritual classics from trusted authors and pastors should be integrated into our reading diets. We need to re remain current with our time in order to be prepared to deal with the challenges that a Christian leader faces today. In order to press on, this implies that we need to continue to increase in knowledge. Reading results in intellectual growth, which tests our wits, provides new ideas, challenges assumption, probes life's, life's, life's complexities. Reading about new ideas and concepts helps to refuel us and readies us for the to challenge ideas and thoughts that come our way in our walk. Paul told us how, Paul knew how important it was to know his audience. He was equipped to always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are you ready to give such an offense? I hope so. In Acts 17.23 we see when Paul came across the statue to the unknown God in Athens. He was ready to tell them the identity of the one that they worshipped and did not know. He knew his audience. He knew their culture. He had studied it. Many people that we know love and worship gods and idols that they do not know. We need to be able to help them and be relevant to them so that they can come to know the God that we know, the true and living God. Paul was unafraid to go to Mars Hill, an important meeting place where philosophy and religion and law was, was discussed, because he was well-versed on the matters that they were likely to debate there. It's important to be equipped with a broad knowledge of the world that's around you in order to teach and reach the lost. Ray Comfort does a great job of that today. Answering questions of our day in a direct, non-judgmental way. He knows his audience. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. Now I've got a confession to make. I read the LA Times. And I listen to all kinds of talk radio programs, not just Christian. But don't judge me. 
Don't judge me too harshly. I've got a good reason for it. I do it because I want to know what's going on in the secular world around me. I know what I think. I actually even know what I believe. But I want to know what the world around me is doing and what they're thinking and what they're believing. I need to know the opposing view on something. I know that I'm not going to, that I don't need to uh, agree with them. But in our world as Christians, and in my case, remember I work in a Christian ministry, um, we can tend to be a little secluded in, in 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 our lives. For good reason, mind you. I mean, we do want to avoid being polluted by the filth of the world. But our life still tends to be somewhat exclusionary or monastic at times. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. So if you're strong enough, you need to engage the world, to be in the world and not of it. We need to know what's going on in the battlefield in order to be good soldiers at the war. Reading does that. Learning does that. Continuing to sharpen yourself and be ready for the battle. How can we be salt and light in the world if we're not engaging in it? In order to be prepared for what we find, our reading could include people and ideas that we're not familiar with and likely don't agree with. But remember, Always, 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 always measure everything against what the Word of God says. Another reason Sanders says that reading is important is to cultivate a preaching and writing style. When you read how others write and develop their ideas, it helps us to learn how to express ourselves. It gives us ideas on how we might explain a concept or frame a project that God puts before you. Reading an expert's work helps us to become more informed in our own field of expertise. I'm a big believer in not reinventing the wheel. If someone else has gone before me and developed a technique or a method, I believe imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Now, now side note, for those of you that are students or take tests, that's that's not recommended, that's cheating, so we don't want to recommend that, but besides that, it's important that we learn our subject matter from the subject matter experts that God brings our way the pastors, the teachers, the writers that have gone before. It's important for us to learn from them so that we can craft our skill. And as we craft our skills, we can look back at those who went before us and pave the way. Libraries, remember those? They're full of books. They're full of information. And are conduits of information. And nowadays, not just paper books are available to us. The digital world that we live in has opened up lots of delivery methods for books. Audio, Kindle, laptop, iPads, even phones. 
give us access to the information age that will be useful to us to continue our learning and make us useful to God in the leadership roles that he places us in. Reading is also another way for us to have fellowship with the great minds of our day. Whether they're living or whether they're dead, we can examine the minds of the great thinkers through their work. What better way to get to know another person than to sit and spend time with them? The fellowship that we share at the retreats, the fellowship that we share uh, in times like this, in small groups, what better way? Well, books provide that opportunity without having to be present with the author. Wouldn't it be great to get to know some of the greatest minds in history to spend some time with D.L. Moody, to spend some time with C.S. Lewis by picking up a book and thinking, and I wonder what he was thinking when he wrote this. This is, this is great stuff. I'm getting to know this guy. I'm getting affected by one of the great minds of our day. You need to ask yourself, are you better friends with great masters like these, or are you better friends with Larry Flint, or the LA Times sports writers. What are you spending your time on? We all have to measure that. Are we spending our time in front of the TV, in front of the computer, social networking? Or are we spending our time with the great minds of our time, shaping and reshaping us into the man of God that, that uh, we can become, if we allow it? Biographies are especially great for the testimonies and inspirational stories that they tell. One of my favorite classics is Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody ever read that, Fox's book? Fox's Book of, Mar of Martyrs is not, not, a, not a light read, but it's a dramatic, it tells the dramatic true stories of men and women who, in the face of an indescribable persecution, gave their lives for the sake of Christ. Timeless classics like Pilgrim's Progress and the practice and presence of God help Christians know how our forefathers have navigated the roads before them and help shape a well-rounded library for the Christian. Theology and doctrinal book by books by C.S. Lewis and Spurgeon and Augustine and J. Vernon McGee and Chuck Smith are a few of my favorite go-tos for study and for, uh, for, for information. New works like Francis Chan's Crazy Love and David Platt's Radical are some of my new contemporary favorites talking about the church and our love for Christ today, what that should look like. Ask people that you know to recommend books, that, that you know and respect, to recommend books that they like, that might benefit you, and that you might be able to incorporate into your life. Philosophy and ethics were basics in classical Greek education. I'm old enough to remember when they had those kind of things in the schools. 
You don't see very much of that talk nowadays in LAUSD, I'm guessing. But um, we shouldn't avoid learning the philosophy and ethics of our day. We are living in a fallen world, no doubt about it. In the last days when right is wrong and wrong is right. But we need to be prepared. We must be careful not to embrace any false doctrines, ideas, or ideas, but instead to be as Bereans who search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. However, in order to test all things and to hold fast to that which is good, we need to be willing to read more than just the scriptures. Sanders says, I like this. Don't be afraid of new ideas, but don't be carried away by them either. Remember, there's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. New winds of doctrines that you hear about, or even read about, must be tested by the scripture and by known sources. Just because someone wrote it in a book, even a previous, previously trusted author, does not make it so. Hank Canegraaff comes to mind, uh, is one author that comes to mind. Once one of the leading apologists of our day, and now not someone to be followed. Test it all. Sanders also challenges us to not comment or criticize a writer of whom you've heard about secondhand without troubling to read their works yourself. It's easy to do. It's within our human nature, our natural nature, to think the worst of another. But when you hear something, confirm where it came from. If it's from the internet, assume it's wrong <laughs> until you verify it, until you reach the source, until you confirm it independently. Do the work. Read the source. And uh, read the work itself before spreading a rumor or casting judgment. Anything short of that, guys? Nothing more than gossip. We're challenged to remember that a leader should also be called to higher service by reading books to equip them. Use reading as a tool in your ministry, just as any other tool you employ. Invest time to think while you read. Um, don't just read a book to get through the book and on to your next activity. While you're reading, engage your brain, your heart, and your spirit. I've been guilty of this, you know, knowing, especially when I had an assignment for school, just kind of reading through a book because, you know, I have more things I'm supposed to read or I've got more work I'm supposed to do. But with caution to slow down and think and read and, uh, and, and ask God to speak through His Holy Spirit that you might glean from your reading that which he might have for you in that book, personally. He does speak to each one of us 
personally and individually through books. I love the story in the book about the Quaker lady who was asking English poet Wallace Sudley, um, Sudley, uh, when, when does he think, after he described to her that he reads all day long, even while he was doing other day-to-day -day activities. Thinking should accompany re reading. Seems obvious, but I guess it needs to be said. Thinking needs to accompany reading. Sanders comment uh, recommends that we read a book um, three times, and recommends writing notes in the books and about the books. I kind of like the idea that he, that he uses of uh, when he finished with a book, write notes in the back page, in the back uh, index of the book. Um, and and, and I, I really kind of like that idea. That's, that's one of those, this way you can go back when you pick up that book next time and see what your takeaway was from it then and see if there's any new learnings that God might have for you this time around after you've read it. Now, confession time again. I'm not an avid reader. I am an avid learner, so I end up reading a lot. I don't read because I have a voracious appetite and love to read. I collect other, other I connect, yeah. I collect information, like some people collect stamps and coins. I'm a collector of information. As fate would have it, just as I was beginning to enjoy reading, um, I ended up with a damaged eye after a surgery about three years ago, and it makes it hard for me to read comfortably. I have a blur spot uh, in, my, in, my, in, my eye, in my eyesight at all times, and uh, my uh, reading plane on my left eye is gone. But I've learned to overcome this objective. I haven't let that get in my way. I haven't allowed myself excuses or obstacles to stand in my way. I encourage you to do the same. We all have time. We all have ways of overcoming obstacles. Paul was an avid reader, which is why when Paul was making his defense before King Agrippa, Festus cried out, Your much learning has made you mad! That was my Festus voice. Did I like it? My Roman upset person. Never mind. Paul, much learning has made you mad. Paul had been there reading for two solid years in this prison at Caesarea. And every time Festus saw him, Paul's head was buried in a book. Can you be accused of being over the edge in your devotion for the, to the ministry that God has given you? Are you continuing to improve yourself in order to become a better leader? May, you not much may your much learning not make you mad, but make you glad that you did. So as we look at chapter 14 and what Sanders has to say about improving, improving leadership, let's open to Romans chapter 12 starting in verse 1. Romans 12 verse 1. Romans 12.1 says, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but think soberly, as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith, to each one a measure of faith. For as we are, have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who sows mercy with cheerfulness. So, we see that Romans 12 is an encouragement for all believers to improve ourselves and to utilize the gifts that God gives us. But specifically, it talks to leaders as an exhortation and encouragement to exert yourself to lead. Ironically, it appears that the best way to lead is to get out of the way. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable because it's the least that we can do, given what that God offered himself to us as a living sacrifice. Reasonable? But not easy. Not under our own power. But until we offer our human understanding, our human wants and desires, our human wills for God to reshape into His perfect will, our ministry service is useless. as filthy rags to Him. Unless we allow Him to transform us by the renewing of our minds, will miss the mark and not know the perfect will of God. As you probably remember, that's my story. I thought that I knew better than God and I had the talent to do what was necessary. I failed. I ended up disgraced and disqualified for ministry. My work was as filthy rags. God had to teach me not to think of myself more highly than I ought. And then, by His grace, I was dealt my measure of faith that He wanted me to have. 
I became usable when I got out of the way, when I gave my body as a living sacrifice and allowed Him to renew and reshape my mind. God has given each one of us, this scripture says, varying gifts to be used within the body of the church and granted us His grace to use them. Prophecy, teaching, exhortation, mercy, cheerfulness, and leadership. Let us, let us each use them properly. Let us seek to use these properly. Not every Christian is called to a major leadership position in the church, but every Christian is called to influence others that are in our charge, or that are in our, our lives. Verse 8 says that we are to lead with diligence. Diligence, defined as careful and persistent work or effort. Diligence. William Barclay's commentary translates Romans 12, 8 this way. He says, if called upon to supply leadership, do it with zeal. Zeal. That's a great word. What a great old word. Do people ever use zeal in your name in the same sentence? Zeal. Do you have the kind of zeal that Jesus and Paul had for his faith, for his people? Is your zeal conditional or even worse, reserved for those special occasions and those special projects that you can get excited about? Or do you have zeal that comes with the excitement of the work that God has in front of you. Romans 12.11 instructs us to not be lacking in diligence, not be lacking in zeal, but instead to be fervent in spirit while serving the Lord. Sanders called it keeping yourself at a boiling point for service. As I reviewed the specific areas that a leader is responsible for, I noticed that these line up with spiritual gifts, gifts that God provides for each of us that seek them. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul tells us that God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. The gift of administration, my strongest, is the ability to create order out of disorder. From the Greek word kubinesis, meaning literally to steer, or to rule or govern or to guide, it carries the idea of someone who guides and directs a group of people toward a goal or destination, or guides a ship toward a goal or destination. With, the gift, with this gift, the Holy Spirit enables certain Christians uh, to organize and direct 
and implement plans or lead others in the various ministries of the church. Surprisingly, few who are called to the role of senior pastor have this gift naturally. They're usually big picture guys. They're usually the person that God gives the grand message to. CCM is, is, di is different, with the exception, Pastor Richard clearly has a strong gift of administration. But most churches actually have a separate person on staff just for this role. But each one of us, as a leader, is charged with the administration of the ministry that has been given to us. As a leader, you're responsible for making a path straight for those in your ministry. A good illustration of this was the creation of deacons to serve tables by the apostles of Paul's day. By the apostles. And by Paul's um, instruction to Titus in Titus 1.5 that you should set in order things that are lacking and appoint elders to every city as I commanded you. The leader should be anticipating issues and have procedures and policies ready so that the work of ministry goes on unhindered. The spiritual tone of your ministry is also your responsibility. We often remind you that your number one ministry before anything else, is your home. You must ensure that the spiritual tone there and the tone in your heart is right before you can serve God in other areas of ministry. Are you the apostle, the prophet, the teacher of your home? Are you worthy of being imitated? People are watching you in your home and in your ministry. Remember that we need to live up to the standard that Paul offered when he said, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Or, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. A group's morale and attitude is also the responsibility of a leader. Friction amongst the team should be minimized and team building should be emphasized. Jesse Jackson. Should be minimized and should be emphasized. Paul tells us that we are all part of the prodigy but with many functions, yet all the body. We must work in harmony with each other to fulfill Christ's plan for our ministry. If the problem is a person or a group, it needs to be dealt with directly and quickly. As a leader, you need to confront issues and people as they come to light. Always apply the Matthew 18 principle. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. 
And if not, uh, if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Let your brother know that you have something against them. Give him a chance to respond. Follow the Matthew 18 principle. Sometimes we think that it's more Christian to just let it go and not confront someone with a problem. But the work of God should not be sacrificed for the sake of peace. Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out of out the old leaven that you may be a that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. But indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. It's better to remove one for the sake of many. One of the hardest tasks that go on is in the church is for the usher or the pastors to remove a distraction or an uncooperative person from the sanctuary. It's tough. It's even harder when you have to remove someone from ministry, from a ministry position. I've actually lost friendships over this. But it's part of the cost of leadership. When you accept the role that God gives you, you accept the good with the bad. Knowing that in the end, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for us was immeasurably more difficult than any of the roles that He calls us to fulfill. Personal relationships. All ministry is personal. You should never forget that your relationships with your co-workers and constituents is always personal. Take care that you are never too far removed from the ministry that you're in. Or your family. Never too far removed to provide the personal attention that they need. Always keep in view the fact that you are being allowed to deal with people's hearts. Their souls are being bared to you. Let your touch in their lives be Jesus' touch. Look at how he cared for others. Not only the ultimate sacrifice that he came to earth giving up his divinity for our humanity, not only the fact that he suffered to live in bodies like ours so that he would understand our suffering. Not only that he went through the torture of a grueling persecution. Not only that he died on the cross for you to give you access. But before that, the way he cared for those that he encountered. He went out of his way to reach the Samaritan woman and called out to Zacharias, this chief tax collector, from a tree 
to dine with him. He was accused of being a wine-bibber and a sinner because his ministry was personal. His heart then and his heart now is to heal them all. And his fame went through all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them all. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Jesus wasn't. He touched lepers and put mud in the eyes of blind men. He cared deeply. Don't be afraid to care deeply. Problem solving and creative planning are both parts of leaders' responsibilities. Identifying and correcting what is defective or inadequate and successfully planning ahead are all parts of being an effective leader. Many pastors are gifted at casting the vision, um, hearing and discerning that direction from God in taking, uh, that God is taking a ministry. The responsibility for executing and fulfilling the vision is left to those who are called into leadership positions. Sanders says that a leader must see the goal clearly, plan imaginatively, and employ tactics that lead to success. I again remind you, do not try to do this under your own strength and power. Always seek God's help and direction. Do not rely upon your own strength and power. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us. Thank God that he sends, sent us the helper to do those things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Never, ever underestimate the power of prayer. Pray believing. I know that when I pray, I absolutely believe that God is answering that prayer. Why wouldn't I? He can do whatever He wants. He's sovereign. He surprises me. He doesn't have to. But why wouldn't I believe that if I'm praying that which is according to God's will, why wouldn't I believe He would answer our prayer? He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Never underestimate the power of prayer. And never attempt to problem solve or creative plan without first praying. And finally, the last point in chapter 14. What does it mean when the pastor says, finally? Absolutely nothing. And finally, the last point in chapter 14. Resist the idea of leadership from the rear. I didn't, ever realize, I didn't realize when I was writing it from the book that it actually rhymed. Resist the idea of leadership from the rear. 
Remember King David's fatal sin was not being in the battle, but leading from behind. If you're called to lead, lead. If not, step away, and God will lift someone up that He has chosen until He puts you back into service where He wants you. God chooses His leaders. He anoints kings and provides them all they need. If you're chosen by God to lead and still feel that you're unqualified for leadership, you're in good company. Moses, Jeremiah, they had the same issues. If you have been called by God to lead and you feel unqualified for leadership, lead anyway. Sometimes it's our unwillingness to serve, I'm sorry, it's our willingness to serve humbly and meekly, not feeling sufficient enough that God uses to make us His vessels of honor. I'll close today by reminding you that we must never think, I'll close to you today as I began, Reminding you that we must never think that once we have been called to a position that we have arrived, we are always progressing toward God's call in our life. Brethren, do not count, I do not count myself as having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the high calling, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, that you use vessels like Sanders to, to call it for us, to put it into readable, understandable format. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And as we prayed when we began, we are, we know that you are faithful and just. That he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. So as each one of us looks forward to that which you are going to do, as each one of us commits ourselves to allow you to scalp, to use your scalpel, and to, to refine us and change us and renew our minds. We pray, Father, that we will be open to the changes, that we will hear your voice. And Father, for the one or two here that would love to recommit themselves to a more full act of service, I pray that even now in their heart they can just reach out to you and say that I need you more. I need more of you and less of me. I need to lay down my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service, Lord. Reasonable because of what you did for us. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for us. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that lies within us because of your finished work on the cross. Pray that you go before us for the rest of this evening during our time of discussion and fellowship. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you have in store. In Jesus' name, amen.